What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, as always, joined by Lewis, and we have a special guest on the podcast this week to talk all things Chelsea. Later on, we'll be talking to Louis Benevente. But first, here's Lewis with a rundown of what else is to come on this week's episode. Well, yeah, seeing as Bill took away from one of the big topics we've got this week, I will knock off the other two, and that is Bayern and their goalkeeping dilemma. Who are they going to start in net next season? And we will also be looking at the rocket start to the Bundesliga. See, Billy, a winter break works wonders. But all that and more right after this. So, you know, we we did talk a little about the, the goalkeeping dilemma, but... You know, if we're looking at it right now, and I'm going to look at this, uh, I'll try to look at this objectively, but I do feel a little bit of bias is going to come through. Anyways, Naya's injury forced Bayern to look for another goalkeeper, lucky enough to get Zoma from Gladbach. You know, and if we're being honest, Gladbach only sold Zoma because, you know, they were able to find a replacement. So it was a very much touch and go transfer. Now you've got the the situation where you're going to be looking at Zoma and Noya potentially now having to battle it out for the number one position. Well, that's a, that's a difficult thing because not only is he number one, he's also captain of Bayern. Exactly. So you can't walk in as Jan Zoma and go, hello, I'm here to take your spot. You know, you were injured. I stepped up, go away because that's just not going to happen. I'm not, I don't know. You might probably have a better idea of how long he's got left on his contract, but it's not the worst thing having two number ones, you know, God, God forbid buying next season, drop out of the champions league group stages or something. Then you can play Jan Zoma in the Europa league. Yeah. But I mean, two number ones. Yeah. But Niren's on a contract till 2024, right? That puts him on a contract until he's 38. Zoma is on a contract till 2025, but Zoma has already turned 34 just now. So it's not like Zoma is 30 right now. He's also not the youngest goalkeeper anymore. He's still prime age for a goalkeeper, in my opinion. But you're looking at two goalkeepers who now are both, you know, at the top of their game. Noya, we have to see how well he comes back from injury. That's another thing. You know, there's been speculation. Yeah, he's coming back in the summer, but no one knows if it's June, July, August, or if there have been, you know, some things kept from the media, like he's actually injured and he's going to be out much longer and the injury is worse than people think. So there's so many question marks surrounding the comeback from Noya that I think Zoma is definitely going to be the number one going into preseason for uh, the 2023-24 season. And then it's going to be an all-out fight. And now we're looking at, you know, how is this going to affect the dressing room? Is it going to be a problem? And I think that could, you know, turn the dressing room in on itself. Because as you said, Naya has been club captain for so long now. He is just more than just the number one goalkeeper. He's a leader. And Zoma's right now everyone loves him because he's the guy who's come in to save Bayern, you know, to use an American expression, at the bottom of the ninth or in the twelfth or in the eleventh hour. But how's that going to look once the golden boy, the leader, comes back? Can I make an observation? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not forcing you. <laughs> Jan, Jan Zoma, as good as he is, very good goalkeeper, love Jan Zoma, shouldn't have been bought by Bayern. Bayern should have just 
swallowed pride and stumped up the feet to Monaco to bring back Alex Newbell. Because, as you were very right to point out to me, that bosses at Bayern have already made it abundantly clear Alexander Nubel is the way they want to go forward. After Neuer, it's Nubel. Well, yeah, but I mean, obviously, they've now kind of turned that around. And there have been some comments, you know, obviously, Nubel has said that he doesn't want to go back to Bayern unless he is starting. So he's made that very, very clear, which puts Bayern also in a tough spot. He's he's openly said, you know, there are, there are definite uh, conditions to me coming back. And if you put the club under pressure in public like that, it also makes it harder, which is why some people like... Um, Lothar Matthäus, Didi Hamann, both of them have said, we might not see Nubu play in a Bayern shirt ever again. Which, in my opinion, it's probably probably going to end up that Nubu gets sold and maybe they exercise a buyback option. That's the most, most likely scenario because I don't think he's going to go out on loan again because, you know, we're looking at a goalkeeper who right now is in the prime years of his career he's entering them he's 26 going on 27 he's definitely not yeah he's definitely not a keeper who you're going to loan out to you know gain experience he's had that now at monaco but you know we're still looking at a goalkeeper who hasn't made 100 bundesliga appearances yet can i just say i thought he was younger i didn't know he was exactly that's yeah the, i thought that's he was like point. 22 23 no, he's, he's he's 96 he's in he's 1996 born Oh Christ, he's a year older than us. Exactly, exactly. It's it's not looking, you know, we're we're looking it's it's not an ideal situation. Because, you know, it's not yeah. it's not ideal and it's uh, it's also not helped by the news that Bayern sacked, let go Use fired. They did. It, fired. it just they fired him. They fired use what, him. Just... Use whatever word that you want to use. They fired the uh, goalkeeping coach Tony Tapalovic. Yep. Yeah, Tony Tapalovic. Take it away because there's all there's already been a lot written about this. Well, because here's the thing, right? He's not just the goalkeeper coach. We're talking about a guy who was best man to Noya at Noya's wedding. Oh Christ. This is he's way more than just a goalkeeper coach. He's a he's a friend. He's one of Noel's most trusted people. He's in the most inner circle. It's Tony Tapalovic and Noel's agent, basically, who are probably the closest that you can get to Manuel and Noel's career. And we're talking about a goalkeeping coach who Noel explicitly took with him from Schalke and told Bayern, "I'm taking my own goalkeeper coach. He is the guy." You want me? I'm taking him with. Simple as. And you know he's been there for the la- for the last eleven and a half years. And if you look at the track record of Bayern in the goalkeeping position, the last t- eleven and a half years, you're looking at the formation of the one of the best goalkeepers, if not the greatest goalkeeper of all time. And they just fired the guy who made him, so to speak. So. <laughs> And much of that has to do with the fact that, you know, as you said, Bayern are looking at Nube and still have said Nube is the way forward. Nube and Tapalovic didn't gel. That's a no that's that's no secret. But one of the craziest things to me is that the main reason that he was fired was because 
he didn't listen to directions from Nagelsmann. And Nagelsmann has already said in interviews, you know, I need coaching staff that 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 works in harmony with me and that, you know, we're where we work together. And sometimes I feel that it, you know, it's not gone all the way the way I want it to. And the bosses have, you know, reacted to that. So it's definitely I'd say it's definitely bosses are now showing, you know, the club is greater greater than the individual, which is good. But we're gonna also have to see how much that individual has shaped the club and how much it could hurt the club if he leaves. Well, it goes back to I think it goes back to the root of it all is that you can't pay as much as Bayern did for Julian Nagelsmann in compensation and not full send it. You have to back him essentially balls to the wall yeah pr- pretty much and they're dipping into hoffenheim's coaching exactly. department, aren't they well they yeah. want to hire and he's already worked with nuggetsman during nuggetsman's time at hoffenheim can't quite remember his name but the goalkeeping coach at hoffenheim is who they're they're dipping back in for but no i i did not know that he was not uh Manuel best man <laughs> that's ridiculous it's it's not exact yeah it doesn't make for you know an easy transition if you will and name of the goalkeeping coach you were looking for 42 year old michael rechner who has worked as the goalkeeping coach at hoffenheim and he is not he was not only working under nagelsmann during his time at hoffenheim but he is also a close confidant if you will of Nagelsmann. So, I mean, for the coaching staff, it makes sense, but still you're looking, you're looking at a lot of action happening between the sticks. And, you know, I, I'm still struggling to see how they sold the Zoma transfer to Nubia or if Nubia saw that and it was like, well, that's my time at Bayern gone, but I can't imagine. Wouldn't, he Wouldn't be surprised. Thing. Would not be surprised if he wasn't consulted at all. Similar to the, uh, Dean Henderson, Jack Butland. Yeah thing that happened at United, you know, there was reports that they were considering recalling Dean Henderson, but he's not again, like Alexander Nubo, he's not one that's going to come back and sit on the bench. He's already said that last year he spent all season on the bench and he was fuming. You know, he was he was essentially lied to, but that's a a topic for another day. But do let us know in the comments and on Twitter as well who you think should be Bayern's number one going forward, who should take over from Manuel Neuer when he comes to the end of his career. But Lewis, the Bundesliga, it's fair to say, came back with a bang. And we'll talk about it after this. 41 goals scored in a comeback match week. I think that's pretty good going from Germany's top division. The record for most goals scored in a single match day in this century since match day 34 of 2001-2002, 44 goals. You know, we're talking about the time a time more than 20 years ago, so football's come a long way in the last two decades. But I think it just supports my view that we should all have a winter break because then teams come out the gate roaring and not like the Prem who are basically just dragging themselves from one match day to the next. How dare you? <laughs> When else are you going to play the Carabao Cup fourth round game? Who gives, I'm sorry, but who gives a flying fuck about the Carabao Cup? If uh, if Manchester United win it this year, I do. Uh, Any any other (laughs) season, I don't. 
Exactly. <laughs> some of the results, I think it's fair to say, turned on their heads. Unbelievable. Batshit. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking here, and I've got FC Kern seven, Werder Bremen one. <laughs> We're talking about Bremen, who haven't been bad. They've they've not been amazing, but you know, their first after they spent a year in the second Bundesliga, they came back and showed a lot of teams who's boss, and you know, they made it difficult for a lot of teams. And Niklas Füllkrug was firing on all cylinders, which is why he went to the World Cup. And you had so many players who had like a small revival. If you know, I'm thinking of a uh, Mitchell Weiser who wasn't deemed good enough at Bayern and was all of a sudden good, but then they get thrashed 7 1 by Köln. And we're talking about two clubs who are, if we're looking at the table, bang average. Like it's not, it's not something where, where you have one team, obviously, you know, you have a Bayern who's playing Hamburg and Hamburg are just dead awful and end up losing 9-2 like they did back in the 2012-2013 season but you've got a you've got a a Köln who've been doing eh you know they were around mid table they've now since overtaken Bremen you know Bremen were ahead of Köln in the table before this game just let that go through your head so i don't know like there was just a massive uh, you could almost say Bremen were shell-shocked at some point because they were just getting you know one goal knocked in after the other on the break you know Tig has scored from behind the halfway line or or just around halfway it was crazy I mean you look at you look at another one here uh, Wolfsburg six Freiburg no you know Freiburg teams in the top four Freiburg who were so dependable yeah under Christian strike and then you've got six nil at uh, away at Wolfsburg, and I, I just want to say that Patrick Vimmer, it was Jesus. it was a year to the day since his Rabona assist last yeah. year. He got another one to set up. Was it Jonas Vind for his second one? Yeah, it could be. So utterly ridiculous. Unreal, because, you know, we were looking at Wolfsburg, and they were kind of like, eh. And, sorry, I have to correct, top four. Wasn't quite top four, but... Freiburg were definitely in the top uh, in the top six, and they were gunning for Europa League or even Champions League. And Wolfsburg, they were on the up and up before you know. Let's not forget they were up on the up and up before winter break um, and before the the whole Corona break and such. You know, if we look at the results, they they knocked Mainz down three nil um, at the start of November. Then came Dortmund two nil win. Then Hoffenheim two one win. Um, and then, you know, a Freiburg 6-0 win. And then they just thrashed Berlin 5-0. So this, they've gone and scored 11 goals in the last two games. So if we're talking about someone who's won the restart so far, Wolfsburg 100%. Oh, massively. I think it's it's difficult. And then you've got, you know, the Dortmund-Augsburg game, 4-3. And it was back and forth. You know, and we're talking 2-2 was... at halftime. It was insane. It was ridiculous. But then you look at the, the game against Mainz. You know, okay, Julian yeah. Ryerson scored his first goal, but then you've got Gio Reyna, who after all that disciplinary issues getting sent home from the World Cup, the two first games back for Dortmund, he scored two late winners. It's insane. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Maybe your parents shouldn't have threatened to leak <laughs> incriminating information about your national team coach. That's so Karen on a Saturday morning <laughs> at a kid's football. <laughs> But for him to then sort of 
block it out, go back to Dortmund where they clearly rate him ridiculously highly. Gio yeah. Reyna. He's a very talented player. Oh, 100%. For him to come back and then score two late winners, it's fantastic for Dortmund, but it is that worry again. Dortmund cannot defend. Oh, still life dependent on it. I, I think Nico Schlotterbeck said it best. He was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be really happy or really sad because we still did catch three goals. Well, I like, mean, he was, at, he was at fault for one of them. But then so, you have to, but he went down the other end, assisted one, and scored the other. So, exactly. So, you can't. <laughs> that can't is Dortmund. Really. Nico Schlotterbeck is Dortmund in a nutshell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be at fault for one, and then he'll go down the other end, get an assist, and get a goal. Yeah. Well, I mean, someone who should have gotten an assist and a goal was Serge Gnabry, but oh, he was taken off at halftime against Köln when they were down 1 0, by the way. Köln kind of took the momentum from that 7-1 thrashing into the Bayern match. But the the really the really controversial time was uh before the match when Knabli used his day off to go visit the Paris Fashion Week and make an appearance. And not just any appearance, but a few appearances in a few different outfits. I just want to ask you one thing. Should he be berated for going and using his day off at the Paris Paris Fashion Week? Or is it a case of, you know, they get a few days off a season, basically, let them use them as they see fit? What's your opinion? The very cynical part of me wants to say, look, you get paid a disgusting amount of money to do something that 90% of kids want to do, 90% of 25-year-old men <laughs> sat in their bedroom still want to do and yeah. you know you you should sacrifice to to keep that but the other side of me just says look the difference in munich and paris is what an, an hour's flight if that it's not like he's gone to america for the day and then come back you know provided he was he was back and well rested before the game i don't well, see a problem with it well, here's the thing, right? So Julian Nagelsmann was asked about this in the pre-match press conference. He was like, well, you know, I don't want to comment on it, but if he plays all right, it's okay for me. Doesn't play well, it's not okay for me. So where do you think he'll end up landing on that side of the... Well, uh... I don't think, I don't know, because uh, the the newest reports have been that Zaliham, well, Zalihamidzic berated uh Serge Gnabry and said it's basically the actions he would expect from an amateur player. <laughs> he said that in front of live, yeah, said it in front of live TV, um, oh, right after no. the game as well. Like his emotions were on high, and there's already been a 20 minute meeting between Gnabry and Zalihamidzic in his office at the training ground, where Gnabry apparently was. Let, let's just say he saw the fault in his actions which is what the reports are saying. But he apparently did, you know, say he was sorry and said it won't happen again. You know, the whole, the whole, the whole nine yards basically. But I don't know. I would say it's not that big of a deal if they're playing, you know, next weekend. But if you've got a, if you've had a game on the Friday and then you got another game on a Tuesday, maybe that one day should be used for recuperation, rest and recovery. That's my opinion. Okay, well, that's that's fair. I can't really argue with that. Just one more thing before we do finish. 
because uh, it's going to be a bit of a longer episode this week with the special guest that we've got. Manuel Neuer, I don't bring it back to Manuel Neuer, but if Serge Gnabry is allowed to go to Paris Fashion Week, which I get, very low risk at London uh, Paris Fashion Week, you know, your, your darks may clash with your lights, pastels may make, look, make him look washed out. I don't know what I'm <laughs> talking about. How on earth is captain, number one goalkeeper, Manuel Neuer, allowed to go skiing where he subsequently breaks his leg and is out for the rest of the season. How? In what world? That's that's exactly what the criti- uh, what the what the critics are saying. Basically, is that it's kind of like a double standard. You can't have you can't berate Gnabry for spending his day off at the Paris Fashion Week and then be like, well, you know, Noya, he's broken his leg. It's it's a tough tough break for all of us, and you know he'll come back stronger. You can't. You can't on the one hand say, you know, yeah, it's great, but then berate him in front of, berate Gnabry in front of national television and say, you know, he shouldn't have gone to the game. Because if you look at it, uh, just, you know, numbers-wise, because obviously sluts, slut for stats incoming. Noya is costing Bayern millions with that, let's just say, lapse in judgment. Because Bayern still have to, he's got a con- clause in his contract that states Bayern, in the event that he is injured, Bayern still have to pay his wages for four months of injury, which on Noya's contract equates to 6.5 million euros. Add in on top of that that Bayern are spending 8 million plus 1.5 million in add-ons to replace Noya with Jan Zoma. Also have to pay Jan Zoma 5 million a year. Noya is costing Bayern, you know, let's do the math. You know, just in one year, Noya is costing Bayern 20.5 million euros with one leg break. And he's not getting berated on national television for it. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Like, I know you had some positives to say about Sally Hamanzic in the. It summer, is very much a double standard. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, very 100%. much a double. You know, if Serge Gnabry had gone to Paris Fashion Week and cut his leg on a pair of fabric shears then yeah okay fair enough <laughs> i can't remember who it was that went and got a tattoo and then it got infected it was a dortmund player and i can't remember who it was but he went and got a tattoo it got infected and couldn't play it's like that's oh, fair enough this- berate them then don't say oh but manuel broke his leg let's put manuel in a bed in a cast and we'll, we'll look after manuel and then go and berate serge Gnabry. i think it's just it's yeah, a bit much of a double a, standard. It's a bit of a double standard. But then, then again, let us know what you think. Can uh, the Bundesliga keep up this mad goal scoring for the rest of the season? Is Serge Gnabry right to spend his day off at Paris Fashion Week? And if you were in charge of Bayern, would you let Manuel Neuer have gone skiing? Well, let's 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 table that one. I've, we all know he's not allowed. He shouldn't be allowed to go skiing if that's it. Anyways. We hyped him up a little bit in the intro, but we've got a very special guest waiting for us. Without further ado, he'll be coming on right after this. Well, like we said in the intro, we have a special guest with us this episode. Welcome back to Louis Benevente, who is going to talk to us all about the stepdaddy of Stamford Bridge, the cash cow of Chelsea, Todd Bowley. Louis. How are you, mate? Stepdaddy of Stamford Bridge. Oh, my hey, God. It's your fault. You're the one who brought <laughs> us together with this tweet. And since, it has just been 
the title of Chelsea, of everything Chelsea on our podcast. Oh, no, that's fucking brilliant. Oh, sorry. Can I swear? Sorry, that was it. That's brilliant. Oh, dear. I'm not, I'm not going to any of that now. Whenever Todd talks about Todd Bowley, I'm just going to look at him as a stepdad. Oh, blimey. If he's not, if he's not careful, I reckon someone's going to, you know. Actually, no, I won't finish that joke. We all know where that's going. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay very quiet. You know me too well. I'll, I'll, we'll move on from that. But it's a very, very good reference. There, there you go. So, thank well, you very much. Yeah, I mean, you're the one who brought it into our lives, so thank you for that. But like we said, you know, Todd Bowley, he's obviously turned some things around. You could say, but could I? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't go that far. Not yet. Well, okay. There you go. So that brings me to the first question. Transfers that he's made, overall, good or bad going forward for Chelsea um, FC? It depends. So although people may not realise it, there does seem to be a bit of a strategy to it, which is, I think, if you look at certain things, there's quick fixes. So Koulibaly and for Rudiger. Uh, we needed a backup left-back, so we signed Kukurea. And then, uh, you know, Bamiyang, we need a centre-forward, for example. And then there are the longer-term signings like Chukwameka, Cesarek Asedi. Uh, obviously, uh, I, can't, I don't want to butcher his name, so I'm going to say the lad from PSV that we just signed as well. Um, I, I, I don't want to – I think, I think Noni Maduke, I think his name is. Yeah, no, Noni Maduke or something like that. Yes. Ex-Tottenham lad. Yes. Apart from that, I don't know that last bit. But, um, <laughs> the yeah, he, look, I think that he signed them for the future to sort of be bedded in a bit more easily. The one problem I had, which he's only just rectified, or he's still rectifying, is this transfer team, which he, he's been trying to put in place, uh, and the fact that he was adamant that he needed to remain part of that process up until the 2nd of January or something, when the trans- two of the transfer team were put in went, no, you're just going to do as we tell you because we know what we're talking about. Uh, so that is kind of what I'm happy with. Um, and also, you know, the, the little loophole he's found in FFP, I find quite funny. Um, you know, it's it's, it's 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 like, I don't know, it's like hiding your money in the Cayman Islands, except in football, I think it is. the best way to describe it in terms of that transfer loophole. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's difficult to say now. For me, like, I, I didn't want to judge him. Um, and obviously, look, my opinion is it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. I'm not going to be one of those people who go, you know, it's my club. So, you know, this is what it needs to be like. It's, that's that's a lot of bollocks when people say that. That's my opinion. But in terms of my opinion, which you, you're asking for because it's valued here, so I appreciate that, uh, is um, I, I think he needs to have this year as a betting in period. The thing is, the transfer team are going to need next year to be have a betting in period. So overall, you can't really judge Todd Bowley until the end of next season, I feel, in terms of, you know, has his impact at Stamford Bridge been a positive one? I think there's certain elements of it where I think he, he's tried to shift the the player power issue, which obviously, you know, we'll, I'm guessing we'll touch on later. Um, but he's he's trying to change the culture, and that's not going to happen in, in, what, six months? No, definitely uh, not. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's going to take a longer period. But I think overall what he's done so far, he's done okay. But his transfer policies, for example, where he says we have a verbal agreement, kind of makes me a bit nervous. Uh, and as 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 you both know too well, see Lewis being in the room with me in some meetings, in some cases, verbal agreements are not always the strongest. So you know, it's kind of sitting there going, okay, let's just get stuff down on paper and we'll go from there. 
that is the one where I have a part and also scouting policy of these players are good um, and clearly the other clubs like them so we'll sign them um, so that is something which does worry me just a little bit well that's uh, that's one of the things that I wanted to touch on was the the Mudrick transfer because for the longest time it looked like he was going to Arsenal and then it was suddenly oh Chelsea have agreed this X Y and Z with with Shakhtar is that a player that you think he he wanted to fit in at Chelsea, or is that one of the ones that oh we don't want him to make Arsenal better? Let's go well, and get it. I think the caliber of the player that he apparently is. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I know everything about Mikhailo Mudrik because you know I don't think and most people do unless you watch Ukrainian football quite heavily, which has been a bit of a difficult thing to watch over the past few months for obvious reasons. Um, but you know I think that obviously with how he played in the Champions League it looked fantastic. Apparently, there's a potential Ballon d'Or winner in there. They said the same about Anderson and Adnan Yanazai. So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but, you know, I, th- I think that overall, his first half an hour as a Chelsea player, he looked very good. Um, in terms of the politics of fitting into the dressing room, et cetera, et cetera, uh, I, I think that it, it remains to be seen. You know, I, we, we don't know. We're not there. Um, I, I can't say if he, he is, but I mean, from what you see, which Chelsea put out, obviously, on their socials when we signed him, he looks to be settling quite easily. Obviously, on his socials, he's doing extra training. He's working hard, you know, dealing with the physicality of the Premier League and adding that to his already lightning speed and his great touch, which I think, I'm not going to lie, I think the I've, the happiest I've been this season was when Jao Felix and Mikhailo Mudrik actually decided to run at people rather than do what Chelsea do best, which is, you know, just pass sideways and really hope to try and walk it in like Arsenal in the early in the late noughties. Sorry. Um but um you know I think I think look I, I don't think wingers were were the strongest necessity, but I think if a player of that quality is available and we can get him on that contract structure which we've just spoken about, it's difficult to say no in that situation. Um and you know I, I just hope he has a long and successful career at Stanford Bridge. I'm not gonna make the hazard comparisons people are saying already, which makes me, you know, very, very, very nauseous, to say the least. I'm watching that going, oh, my God, really? Like, it's, 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 the Twitter is just a, a horrible and an amazing place at the same time. You know, he, he, he looks good, so only time will tell, really. So you just did mention the financial fair play restructuring. Yeah. I think the best way to just put it is, do you think it is cheating or just a very clever bit of uh, financial working by the club because you know you could make the argument as you already compared it to the Cayman Islands and the came hiding your money on the Caymans isn't exactly well let's say it's a gray area would you say it is cheating or is just you know a clever workaround gray area mate do you know what I mean I think if there's a hole to be made the most out of that's down to UEFA to fix it if we're there, it, listen, listen, if you could pay your taxes in a smarter way and pay less, would you? Yes. Well, yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah. <laughs> That's your answer. So would you want to pay less over, over one year so your net spend over a year period looks a lot stronger? So, for example, I think if you add up all of Chelsea transfers based on the average, obviously, uh, yeah. over the next six years, I think we're spending, if we didn't buy any more players, which obviously we're going to, which is this is where it could get a bit, bit dodgy. Um is 64 million pounds a year on transfers which That's isn't yeah, yeah. For, the, for, the, yeah. For, the, for the amount for the bulk that we've signed yeah we, we signed 
I think, what, six players just this window alone. We signed six, I think, the previous window as well. For 12 players, I'm going, yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. Oh, by the way, some of that is add-on. So, for example, I think my Carlo Mujic transfer was only about 60-odd million. Yeah, so it's a, the or the exact statistics on that one are 70 million euros plus 30 million euros in add-ons. So everyone's throwing around the 100 mil range. But, you know, if, if we're saying in reality, um, at the minute, it is 70. But People love I'd, to do that, though. People love yeah, sensation. Well, obviously, because that, that's, that's what makes the best clicks. But, yeah. you know, I would still ask, do you think he is worth that amount of money or have Chelsea gone and paid the England tax as so many Premier League clubs do when it comes to, you know, the next big, the next big thing in Europe? I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, he's, he's played half an hour. I think, it, I think it's very difficult to, to, to say right now. I mean, I, we'll have this conversation in the year's time and I'll be able to say. Um, I think the one thing that does worry me with a player who's got that level of, of, you know, courage in terms of going forward. I can't believe I've used the word courage because he does play with no fear. I think the thing with Chelsea is you look at Mason Mount over the past two years, Christian Pulisic. Uh, I mean, Hudson Adoy is another example of that. Yeah, These yeah. are all players who ran at people and it was something which was so refreshing and they took people on, made the most out of it. And then now they don't do it. Now, obviously, Mason Mount, I feel, was going through obviously a bit of a spell. He needs a rest more than anything, I think. Um, Christian Pulisic, I just think his head's gone. He's gone elsewhere mentally. I don't think he'll deal with the physicality of the league. Keeps getting injured. Hudson Adoy is already in the Bundesliga. And based on what I've been reading and listening to, gentlemen, uh, he's been remarkably average from what I understand. So, you know, there's, there's certain elements where I just hope that he doesn't get trained out of him to not run at people. That is the one thing that very much worries me because that is his biggest asset is his speed. And even then, there are times in the Liverpool match where he made one or two runs where he was just gone. And instead of that, we went, you know what? I really fancy passing sideways and then passing somewhere else and then taking the ball on the plane to Ibiza, having a couple of drinks, getting back on the plane and then passing it when there's a low block. Uh, so, you know, I think that there's certain elements which you've got to do and elements that Chelsea, I think, have got to retrain themselves in which i think is going to happen over the period of time under graham potter or not um england tax there is definitely going to be an argument for that but i mean i think it would happen with if anyone signed him you know if arsenal are going to sign him if you're going to sign him and even then we're, we're potentially doing that with benfica and enzo fernandez so you know it's just finding the balance more than anything really um and you know can I, we can only hope you know just i mean even Fred, even Fred, for example, where people talk about his, I, I know you mentioned that player as an example, but I mean, he's the last one who came from Shakhtar. You know, he maybe hasn't lived up to the hype that people thought he would be, but he's still been a very valuable player for Manchester United, I feel personally, in terms of what he offers the team, what he does. So, you know, has he lived up to the 50 million billing which people were talking about when he walked into the league, was supposed to set it light? No. But has he been a player who has been at United for a sustained period of time, been pivotal to the reincarnation under Eric Ten Hag, winning trophies with the club? Then yes, he has been part of that process. So, you know, I I, I think that, you know, only time will tell on Mikhailo Madrid, but I'm very excited. He looks like a fantastic player and he's a young guy. Well, just on the uh, the Enzo Fernandez one there, just I, I want to get what you uh, what you make of this. Because obviously he's got that release clause that Chelsea wouldn't pay or refuse to meet. They'd they'd agree to move with the player like personal terms, but apparently he's being given two million euros by Benfica. 
as almost like a sort of loyalty for not pushing a move to Chelsea this month? That's all right. I'll take Tim. Someone said to me, don't force me, we'll give you two million quid. I'm like, oh, just weighing up my options. Yeah, yeah, go on, why not? We'll see what happens in the summer. I, I, th- I think, look, he's, he's not pushed a move. I, I, this is another one of Todd Bowley's transfer fuck-ups where I'm sort of going, why do you not just do it when he went, you know, he goes to Benfica, we'll, we'll meet your release clause. And they go, oh, great. So you can actually start negotiating. Oh, brilliant. Let me negotiate personal terms. Great. Oh, by the way, now we've negotiated those personal terms. Can we do a different deal? It's like, I, th- I thought you were supposed to be a billionaire businessman. Come on. like that, that is that is just basic logic there. That's not even basic transfers. That's like, Bill, that was like, I don't know, Go into the corner shop, right? And then go in, right, I want to pay £2 for what you've got here. Brilliant, okay, I'll I'll, I'll take that. So go have a look around the shop and see anything else you like. Oh, yeah, brilliant. I, I had a look around the shop and I don't like what you have, or the stock you've got, so can I knock this price down, please? It's like, oh, what? No, this is it's the price. Deal with it. There's that, that, one, that one video comes to mind where the guy is like, how much is this? £2. I got yeah. 50p, fuck you. <laughs> it's literally, it's literally, I put that tweet out when he did it. It's like Todd Bono, Benfica. It's like, fuck you, this is what I got. Right, <laughs> How much you want, Francis Fernandez? 100 mil. I've got 50, fuck you. <laughs> we'll give you 50 and a player. No, we'd, we'd rather just have the money. Okay, okay. 60 and a different player. No, we want the money, Todd. Okay, but, but I've got a great deal for you. I've got a fantastic deal, all right? 55 and him, you can have it, it's done, all right? It's like, no, no, just give us the fucking money. I think also in that position, it's, it's the one, I think that and centre-back are the two positions where I've gone, just pay the money, just pay the money, just get someone in. Because Kula Bali is like Bambi on ice. In fact, no, he's like Bambi's <laughs> mum on ice because, you know, he's he just is constant, he's shit, he's useless. When he gets shown up by an academy graduate who's making his debut in the FA Cup, that says everything you need to know. Um Chalaba just I don't think is the quality, personally. Um, Tiago Silva is going to be in the Zimmer frame, and we're still playing because we'd rely on him that much. You know, we've we've got a lot to work on, and it's almost like selling uh, Mark Gahey and uh, well, tomorrow maybe not so much after watching him against us in the Champions League. But you know, selling Mark Gahey was a bit of a stupid idea. I wonder who idea that was. That was that wasn't smart. Um, well, that's that's another point that we've got that we wanted to ask you about was the spending like millions and millions of pounds on these players. When you've got youth players and kids coming through with no obvious path into the first mm. team when they come in. Cause like you look at the, the Frank Lampard era when you had that transfer ban. Yeah. Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Reese James came through properly. There was a, a crop came through of let, you know, let's be honest. I know Tammy Abraham isn't at Chelsea anymore, but decent players. Yeah. So would you rather not spend millions and millions on someone like Benoit Badiashil from Monaco mm-hmm. and bring someone from the youth team through? I, I still think that people from the youth team are going to come through in this capacity, purely because I think we, we're not going to have the option. I mean, if we're spending £500 million, pounds, even though it's obviously, like I said, across a certain period, but then UEFA are now going to alter the laws so we can't do that, we're going to need to rethink our strategy. And I think there are certain pl- I mean, Levi Colwell is a prime example you know, now he's kind of come through. He came through Huddersfield, did really well, went to Brighton, struggled at first, but is now a regular starter in the first team. He'll be someone who comes back and I think will bed himself in. He'll be someone who comes back and I think will bed himself in. But I think the, the big thing is with Frank, the Frank Lampard era was because of the transfer ban, that's what it happened. 
Um, and I think also you had Jody Morris, you had, uh, you know, other coaches, Joe Edwards, for example, within the staff who knew the youth setup and knew the capability of some of the players. Whereas before that, we didn't have that. Now we we kind of have that a bit more. I think with this whole transfer strategy, you've got, for example, the the Brighton scouting team that came through with Graham Potter. Two, there was two of them, and then there's a couple of guys that's come through. There's so many people, which like, I can't, I'm struggling to keep track. Um, but you know, the way that people are coming through, it, it kind of seems like there might be a bit more of a strategy around that. Um, I mean, as much as I said it was nuts to sell Mark Gay, he, he was in the last year of his contract, he didn't want another loan, so we sold it, made the most out of it. Tamori, something happened there. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, after when watching him at AC Milan, I think, you know, obviously the city has a fantastic league to watch, but then you put it into Europe, you know, a, a side like Chelsea right now, which, let's be honest, we're, we're not the strongest, and we weren't the strongest at that point either. You know, we spanked AC Milan. It shows the quality of the league just isn't quite there. And then Tamori looked way out of his depth. So, you know, there are certain elements we kind of have to look at it. And then I think, Tammy Abraham is a sort he'd be a solid Premier League striker. Is he someone I'm going to look at to go, right, he's going to win us a league title? No. Tammy Abraham is, I'd say at best, like a maybe a Europa League Premier League striker. I think he, like a Leicester. The bulk of that that came through was good, but not quite good enough. That's why Mason Mount's still here. That's why Reese James is still here. You know, players which I think Reese James is, is on his when he's fit. He's the best right back in the world. I I, I can't put anyone else ahead of him. Genuinely, I, I was just trying to think about this the other day. No, he's he's great defensively. He's great going forward. He's an all round fantastic player. Carl Walker maybe gives him a run for his money, but for me overall, I think Reese just purely also going forward, unbelievable. But you know, I think there's 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 a lot of work that needs to be done. Obviously, I think there there will be players that come through. Obviously, you know, Graham Potter with the injuries that we've had has put put some players and think Lewis Hall. I think he's been fantastic. Uh, I think Humphreys, when he came on in that City game, fantastic. Amari Hutchinson is struggling a little bit. I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he's a bit nervous. Um, and I think the quality is there. So there are players which are coming through and proving their worth. But it's all about finding the right ones. I, I don't think it's when people say just put the youth through. It's like, OK, well, let's think about this first. I think in, in this instance, in the position we're in right now, you know, if, if we weren't in the fortunate position of Coming into February, you're going to have Chilwell, Kante, um, Reese James, obviously all the some key players coming back. Then I would kind of go, do you know what seems all right off? Play the kids, let's see what they're capable of and see if they can walk into the team. Right now, Lewis Hall keeps Cucurera out of the team, hands down. Um, he's aggressive going forward. He's pretty solid defensively. But I think obviously when we're playing the three, it kind of helps him. Um, I don't think he'd be a left back. I think he's a wing back or he's a, he's a winger. Um, but I think there is a, you know, it's, we're finding the right balance, and I think that's very difficult to manage. And I think, I think arguably United, with the class of '92, are pretty much the only team in recent memory who have found that balance, and that was 30 years ago. So we need. I think it's it's very difficult to 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 figure out how that all works. Yeah, obviously, and I mean, you just spoke about him as well because Frank Lampard was the manager to bring those kids through, basically. Mm -hmm. Does he still rank now that he's been fired from Everton as well as brilliant player but a poor manager? So I think his time at Chelsea, um, if he'd had the right structure around, for example, that spending period. So he had his technical director, he had a sporting director, he had people who knew what they were doing, sort of aid him. I think we could 
be speaking about him differently. Um, I think the one thing which Frank does very well, and I, I always I hark on about this and always have, I think emotional intelligence is one of the most underrated values in humanity. When people look at interviews, obviously you look at numbers, you look at the intelligence of somebody, but the emotional intelligence I think goes is 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 underutilized. Yeah, yeah. What Frank did at Chelsea, I think since which had contest first season, which was great, but in terms of like a a real high, I've not felt how I felt watching Chelsea under Frank since I was a kid. I think there was obviously there's the nostalgia of Frank Lampard being the manager as well, but every single one of your players at the end of the game, you all go to the fans. I don't care what's happened. When people walk on the field, like, you go to them. And you saw how he used the same thing at Everton. It, the, the Goodison is a fortress. The, 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 I mean, my, my uncle's a massive Evertonian. He's been going since the 50s and 60s. You know, he's, you know, diehard, sat in the Gladys Street and for years. He's got, he goes with his son, goes with his grandchildren. You know, the whole family has season tickets. They're nuts. Um, and you can just hear the passion when they talk about Everton. And I, it's something which people don't really appreciate and they didn't appreciate until they saw what it could do last year. You know, Goodison was a fortress, and Frank did that because he said, we need you behind us, we need you to help us, and they did exactly that. And that's why all the Everton fans are such avid supporters of Frank still. You know, I think the big problem with Everton is that structure is a mess. Yeah. Mashuri has destroyed that club. You know, they, they, they have no idea what they're doing. The transfer strategy doesn't make sense. Nothing there works, and I think I mean, that they, they apparently turned down a move for Bruno Guimaraes. That, that's nothing. They turned down a move for Haaland. Steve Walsh said, "Can we just pay the two million for Haaland when he was at Mulder?" And they went, "Nah, we'll go sign Sandro instead." Well, here's the thing, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't harp on too much, you know, at the time, obviously, because Haaland, yeah, he was an insane teenager but you you know we also have course, seen what of course, of yeah. course. But that's just an example of the structure yeah everything. obviously they're, they're all talking about moving to a new stadium they won't be in the premier league the, the, the yeah. fact is right this this is for me in terms of the destruction of a club this is potentially another leads because everton have never been relegated in their history there's a reason why it's called the grand old team historically the the, you know, yeah yeah it's, it's a massive, 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 massive club. You know, I, I, the, what, what is happening right now is a mess. And that wasn't all, like, some of the decisions Frank made weren't great, no. But when he's trying to reinvest and develop the team and develop a structure, and Everton have not done that for years. Bill Kenwright, Mashuri, they destroyed that club. So it's basically so, like the chickens coming home to roost at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. So. Yeah. I mean, I think what Frank's done, I, I, look, I'm not going to put him up there as an unbelievable coach. I personally think Frank Lampard would suit a director of football role. I think he'd be fantastic at that and talk about the structure and the culture and developing yeah, things. Yeah. I think if someone said to me tomorrow, Frank Lampard might be coming back as a technical director, a sporting director, or just someone to work with in the club. Like, Brilliant. Perfect. Because he, he, it's, he's great at that sort of stuff. He's a good coach as well. You know, people talk about how he took Derby from sixth to sixth, and it's like, well, in fairness, you know, he took that Derby side to a playoff final, which I don't think many people expect them to do. They thought, oh, they're getting the playoffs, but Derby have been a bit hit and miss for years. He got them to make that progress. Chelsea, we, I, I, look, we lost our best player. 
we had a transfer ban we weren't able to replace anyone i thought the squad was mishmashed half used and i think that you know he he's got us top four and he got us to cut final yeah sorry he, he did a terrible job with us yeah oh no but then when he spent all the money he went it all went wrong yeah it did but that kind of happens when you don't have the structure around you as well obviously he's part of that decision making process i'm not sitting there saying he's not at fault there are certain things he needs he needed to learn from that and he's, he's done that but frank was brought in to stabilize the club and he did that he did that very well he wasn't going to be the someone who's going to develop the team and you know go on to win drivers i think everyone wanted that everyone wanted that romance but it wasn't going to happen but he developed the team and built the spine of our champions league winning side you know he's not about he's not bad at what he does i think if he went to a stable club he'd do well but i'm not sure what that stable club would be i would have thought leicester but then leicester in a bit of a bit of a rut at the minute can't really make the transfers i would you know i think maybe a solid championship team that might be potentially making their way up could be a good option um almost almost like what company has done with with burnley you know he's been able yeah. he's, the structure's pretty solid and he's been able to redevelop I think if Frank was able to put his his own imprint on something properly, you will see the quality that he has. Is he going to be a, a cup winning manager, a league winning manager in the Premier League? Not so sure. But I think him and Steven Gerrard, by the way, which because I, I don't think you know, I think that Villery proved it as well. They're both decent coaches, but they aren't going to be the Pep Guardiola class of great player, great coach, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move away from, from one former Chelsea manager and let's talk about another former one. Do you think, or what's your opinion on what went wrong with Thomas Tuchel? Was it a difference of opinion between him and Todd Bowley? Was it a, was it like an authority thing? Todd Bowley was like, I, I'm the owner, this is my club now type thing. Well, from what I understand from people I've spoken to within the club, it wasn't, it was kind of a mixture of both. To be honest, it was it was Dortmund 2.0. You know, he, he what, what from what I understand, I think there was the Ronaldo thing which kind of triggered it. So obviously Tuchel had been dealing with all the transfers and everything, basically. Um, but Bode kind of come in and said, not it wasn't we're gonna sign Ronaldo, tell me why I should. And it was, okay, I'm not too sure, but can you educate me maybe on why we shouldn't do it? Not not saying it's gonna happen, but I'm just saying, can we can we talk about it? Um Obviously, he's thinking shirt sales, thinking this has been quality for years, X, Y, and Z reason. And Tuchel basically apparently said, you pay me to make these decisions, stop asking me stupid questions, piss off. Basically along those lines, which is kind of where it hit loggerheads, which is where, for example, you know, Todd Bowley talks about he wanted to have a, a club where kind of everyone could communicate with each other and, and build a structure. For example, like we're talking about with the youth team, you know, he wants to build a club where they can... Um, there, there is a clear guide, you know, but you can interact between the academy and the first team and people know everything's going on because Chelsea's structure was first team academy. Okay, where's the pathway? Because there's not a clear conversation. Put it this way, when Frank Lampard made an actual path, I mean, a physical path, he put the groundsman to lay some concrete between the youth team and the first team, that was a big deal. That says that said everything, you know, that's, that's what Chelsea was at. So... Bowley saying he wants to have a, a place where everyone could communicate. I think Todd, Thomas Tuchel wasn't wasn't really fitting into that. Um, no, I think everyone. I, I was I was very emotional when he left. I think it was kind of one of those half oh, blimey, like we've actually lost the good one here. 
Um, but he's got a proven track record of not being able to support and technical directors. So I think having that situation, it kind of went, okay, well, sorry, mate, but something's not right. And, and in fairness, you know, let's not, let's, if you listen, as you two have said, you are sluts for stats. All right. Look at the back end of Thomas Tuchel and look at the front end of Graham Potter. We were plateauing and we weren't great towards the back end of Thomas Tuchel. So there was something going wrong there already. Well, I mean, Whether I'm going to, I might have to throw in a stat right back at you. And it's the fact that Thomas Tuchel had two, or he was averaging two points per game in his first season with Chelsea, you know, the one that he came into. Yeah. And the second one, basically the one that he started and he ultimately didn't get the finish, he was at 1.95 points per game. Are you doing this on the basis of what the five games he was in charge, basically? No, oh, I'm you talking really about, doing this. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the overall the 38 managed in the Premier League 2021 2022 of All which right. you won 21, drew 11, and lost six. That's an average mm-hmm. of 1.95 points per game. Okay, and you're talking, and then you said it's 22, 23. Is all you're talking about? That's where you've lost me now. So, because I, I think well, I'm saying what I'm saying is that that his first year and his second year weren't that much work. weren't you know there wasn't no. Like but you look off. at the back end is the back end of that period. He had a 38 percent win percentage, which you know I think in like, I'm I am not doubting Thomas Tuchel's capabilities. By the way, I'm not sitting in. His oh no, no, I know. I mean, you you would be you would be kind of looking a bit bit off it because he did win you a champions league <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm looking i'm looking at obviously you're looking at the new structure yeah, i think yeah. the, the other way to look at this is if this is any business um i'm looking at my desk um someone who sells universal plugs right that company starts to go under or there's something that happens when the company needs to be sold you have the person who's a figurehead of that sale the person who deals with all the shit because it wasn't Marina, it wasn't Petacek, it wasn't Ronald Brownbitch, it was Thomas Tickle facing the press, for example. Right? When that sale goes through, most of the time, in fact, probably nine times out of ten, the person who was the figurehead of that sale goes. Because it, it's either a clash or it, they've they've served their purpose. In this case, I feel that Thomas Tickle served his purpose. Did Todd Bowley make a big mistake by doing a whole transfer window and then going? By the way, you're sacked. Yes, that was just stupid. But at the same time, there's a reason he did it. There's a, there's a logic behind it. So the only problem he has now is with the hire that he's made. I mean, personally, I'd have said I'd, I'd have had Graham Potter. Um, it was my first choice when we sat Tuchel. Oh, so, um, so, you know, feeds perfectly into the topic. Would you say Graham Potter is the right man for the job then? Is he the right man long term? I don't know. I think for me, I, I don't. I want to judge Graham Potter when he's implemented. It's the same with uh, Tobola, you know. Give them time to implement what they need. Having the conversation this time next year, I'll be going. Okay, well, let's see where we're at. For me, I feel like Graham Potter is going to be the Brendan Rodgers, for example, for us. I feel like he's going to lay a foundation. We'll bring in some good players. But then someone's going to come in afterwards. It'll be the long, long, long term guy. Um, so uh, I think I've got, <laughs> I've got one or two friends who have who just ha- hate him. Um, Nico, obviously, you both know, despises him. He very much looks at him a lot like, um, he sent me a clip. There's a clip from Family Guy 
Whereas the British guy said, oh, should we have sex now to his wife? And then she goes, no, so it's, no, it's a very good idea. We'll leave that. He's very much that sort of guy, he says. You know, he's the safe very, choice. Not even a safe choice, just boring. And he hates him. Like, well, yeah. I, Nico went off on one of his, one of his very particular uh, rants, of which I feel might not be a good idea to repeat on a, it hit that point. Um, so I was kind of a bit like, right, okay. Um but then the other argument to make is you can't really sack him because that would make it again either. And then the most importantly, who's going to come in? Oh, should we get Zanin Zidane? Should we get Luis Enrique? What, two guys who neither of which have a track record of making projects? You know, let's be honest, Zinedine Zidane was great around when Ronaldo was there. When Ronaldo wasn't there, eh, did all right. Luis Enrique, he had MSN. When MSN weren't there, eh, did all right. Spain, eh, did all right. Oh, let's get Mauricio Pochettino as my favourite one. What, the guy who struggled with the best team on paper in the world to win a league and then couldn't do anything in the Champions League. Goodness gracious me. Oh, by the way, let's talk about how he... He, he made a good team at Spurs, though, didn't he? Yeah, how's that trophy going for them? Where is it? It's not there. That's that's the biggest problem, I think. It's a similar thing with world-class number nines at the moment. There's a, a shortage of world-class, genuine managers which is why i you know thank my lucky stars that we actually took a risk and went with eric ten hag and didn't go with what seemed to be a, a fan choice in potch because there's just a shortage of project managers do you know you know what i mean when i say that so yeah, well eric ten hag had a track record he exactly Ajax. i mean i think the closest i mean I, mean, you, I guess you look at leipzig but then even then you look at you know the red bull model look at jesse march oh my god he drives me up the fucking wall. He's like, he's he's a nightmare. I I, I just think he's he's so abject. And his plan is very much, I'd like to describe it as uh, Iraq 2003. Yeah, man, we're just going to throw shit at it. It's going to go great. Yeah. It's very much it's like, it's just come on. Like, can you just fucking relax? Like, it's not working. Stop. No, it's like. It's like, he's the, it's, I there was an Al Murray sketch I saw earlier where it's like, yeah, so we've got a great idea for a battle plan. We're going to send Marines, water soldiers, to the deserts. Okay, right. So that's very much like he's, that's what he's done with, you know, the leasing. We're going to get as American, American players as I know. Tyra Adams is great at Red Bull. Let's have him. He looks great. This guy, this guy, this guy's like, okay, but can we look outside of Red Bull Salzburg? And Al goes, no, this is what works. This is what I know. Yeah. yeah get, get, get ready for this one because uh, Weston McKenney is supposed to be incoming to Leeds <laughs> for 40 million. 40. I was, I was fucking waiting for that one. Do you know, what, do you know what's nuts? I, I, I put um, a request of that into Skybet as a joke at the beginning of the window for that. They didn't give it to me. Bastards. <laughs> I was there sitting there going, come on, like, this is bound to happen. But it's the, the, this is what I mean. Like, I think you look at the Red Bull model. I mean, Nagelsmann, I mean, you know better than me, guys. So, you know, he, he, from outside looking, it looks okay. But based on the phone conversation me and you had earlier, Lewis, it was a bit like, oh, I don't know, that could be a bit of a bit of trouble brewing. Um, so, you know, there is, there's such a shortage of coaches. Like, I mean, I might just throw my name in the hat. You know, I've not won a trophy yet either, but, you know, I've, I've, I've done a project and it went all right. There you <laughs> go. I think it was uh, up the wharf was the uh was was the slogan there it was indeed i had this i had this german bloke in golf about a couple of games he was shit oh yeah those german goalkeepers aren't much cop anymore uh they're really not well just uh 
before we before we let you go and enjoy your evening, Louis. Tenth in the league at the moment. Uh-huh. Predictions for the second half of the season for Chelsea. Probably around the same point. I said at the beginning of the season, I, I think I don't think we're going to get top four. I don't think we get Europe. I think it's it's a massive rebuilding process for us right now. So, you know, I think realistically, this obviously isn't the barometer they're going to set themselves, but they're kind of like, okay, well, this was our rebuilding year. Next year we have to do better. I think next year it would be a case of saying Champions League qualification is a must. It is, um, but you know, I think I think that. Overall, I don't think we're going to get Europe. If we do, it'll be the Conference League, which I think, obviously, on paper and outside looking, it looks bad. Uh, for Chelsea, probably isn't the best. For me, it's fantastic because it means I get to go to weird places and I will definitely get a season ticket because I'll be going to, I don't know, Minsk on a Thursday. So, you know. Who doesn't love Minsk on a Thursday? There's, there's a winner for everyone in this situation. You know what I mean? There you go. There you go. Well, Louis, thank you so much for coming on and giving us your thoughts on basically all things Chelsea, but also love the insight on Everton because, you know, it's not every every day that you get something on the inner workings of a club struggling so much. Yeah. But I think we will definitely love to have you come on as a recurring guest. But from our side, thanks so much. It's all right. I don't know. I'm really busy now, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't care about people I used to be friends with at uni. Like they're still dicks. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's not, no, not no one likes them. No one likes them. I'm joking. Of course, I'd love to come on. Obviously, because I know people might listen and be like, "This guy sounds like a knob." I'm like, oh, I am, but I'm also funny. I don't mean half the shit I say. So, yeah, there <laughs> join the club. Oh Christ! On the bike and call me Margaret. <laughs> there you go. Let's say. From our side, thanks so much, Louis, and we'll hope to see you soon. So we've heard from Louis Beneventi, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Chelsea. We've had a very in-depth look at Bayern's goalkeeping strategies and the rocket start in the Bundesliga. Have we finally settled back in to the grand scheme of things for round two of this season? It feels good to have both of them back at the same time. It really does, doesn't it? And of course now... The UK has to take it away because FA Cup has taken over this coming weekend. So it's going to be a Bundesliga-only episode for this coming weekend. But as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out our previous episodes on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts now. And of course, Spotify. You can always find a good laugh here and there. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.